0: Hello and welcome to In the Book with hosts Luke Broom and Austin Freeman, where we study the Bible verse by verse, informing you on what the Bible says and what it means by what it says with bold declaration of the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture. We hope you enjoy. Is recording this episode on January the 5th. Uh, it has been a hot minute since I have been behind the microphone, but uh, nonetheless, despite the period of absence, I'm excited to be back. Got some really good material prepared for today. Uh, honestly, most of it has been prepared for a while but I've still been uh, reading through it periodically and making some edits and adding some things here and there. So it is uh, at its final copy and and ready to be uh, put out there to the world to listen to. So um, I hope that you have had a very Merry Christmas and that New Year's was uh, a sweet time of looking back on 2020 and reflecting and and looking ahead to this year, 2021, and perhaps sitting down and setting some goals or um, some spiritual um, goals that you'd like to accomplish this year or personal goals, workout goals, finance goals, all of the goals. Uh, I know that's one of my favorite things to do is to sit down and look what went well last year, look what didn't go well, and then prepare for the next year uh, and get to say, uh, Lord, will you sustain me this year as you did last year? So uh, with, with that uh, New Year's uh, talk out of the way, um, I did want to apologize on the front end just for not getting uh, the episode out there sooner rather than later. I uh, so you forgive me for that, but I'm here, uh, as you notice, since I'm the only one talking thus far. I am flying solo again today, hoping to get Austin back on the microphone um, in the next couple weeks or so for episode number nine, this is, this will be episode number eight, uh, covering first John chapter two verses 28 and 29. And then we'll get into chapter three and cover the first three verses of chapter three. So that's, what's on the docket for today. Um, if you're just tuning in for the first time, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Um, for those who have been listening and have been following along, thank you for your support and for your time, uh, taking time out of your day to listen to me uh, talk about the Word of God. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah, go ahead. If you haven't gotten your Bible already or if you're listening on the road or something, prepare prepare your mind. Go ahead, say a quick prayer just to calm your mind, get any distractions out of the way. Uh, we're going to hop right in so that the title of this section that i have listed out is the purifying hope now you'll you'll probably see on the uh the title from whatever podcast uh resource you click on this it, it's going to say the return of christ and personal holiness which are two big themes that we're going to discuss uh, but you'll see as we get to the last verse that we're going to cover today uh that the a major theme is this purifying hope and we'll discuss what that means but We're going to go, uh, starting in verse 28, I'll read the text for us out of the um, NASB, and we'll go from there. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen. Well, that was the reading of God's word. And we are going to hop right in, ladies and gentlemen. So verse 28, John starts off with this uh, this word now. It's almost as if he... Is, is starting a new uh, paragraph, if you will Like he, John at this point has hit the enter key And has tabbed over And he's starting a new paragraph uh, with, with By saying now uh, But at the same time, he's, al- he's also still connecting What he has said previously uh, But it's got this emphatic start to it Now, little children We see that source of endearment again That we've seen before Remain in him or abide in him and so by way of reminder, we haven't, we haven't touched on this word in a while. This is the Greek verb meno, M-E-N-O. It means to stay or to be constant in one place or be constant in, in your relation to something. And so when John says remain or abide in Him, we ask ourselves a simple question, what is the object of our abiding? And the answer is Jesus. And so right out of the gates here, I want to ask, just getting practical, uh, or honestly just declare to you, if, if you're going to be constant in at least one thing, make sure that one thing is Jesus Christ. Perhaps you can ponder for a minute. Are, are you more constant with your hobbies, your job, any earthly relationships? We... we talked previously about how closely the the topic of abiding or remaining is connected to persevering in the faith. So how, how looking back on maybe even 2020, how, how did you persevere in the faith over the course of the year 2020? And what are some things maybe you need to pray and ask the Lord uh, to convict you of and to conform you more into the image of Christ as we go into 2021? The next question I wanna ask off of this first verse, John says, right after he says, remain in him, we get this phrase, so that. This is an important phrase because it links what he just said to what's coming after. We can ask our, It answers the question of why. We can ask ourselves the question, why are we to remain? Why are we to abide in him? John tells us, he says, so that when he appears, Jesus, when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not draw back from him in shame. So the two things there, John tells us we may have confidence and no shame at his coming. Confidence and no shame. Now, John uses the word when he appears. So what what exactly does he mean when he says Jesus appears? This is referring to specifically to the second coming of christ this is uh the rapture or the, the gathering of the church when christ returns this is what john is referring to here also at the end of this verse when he says that his coming same uh, same theme or same idea of what he's referring to now we look at the two words that i mentioned that um, answer the question of why are we to remain the first word is confidence and the word confident is the Greek noun parisia, which is P-A-R-R-E-S-I-A. And it means like a free and a fearless confidence or better yet, I like this definition. It's a, a cheerful courage, a cheerful courage. This word uh, parisia is used specifically in the context to be in contrast to shame. So they're often used together to contrast each other. And so the next word is obviously shame. And the phrase that you see in that, in that first verse, uh, not draw back, this is the same Greek phrase as the, as the word shame. So if you translated it literally, the text would say, we may have confidence and no shame from him in shame at his coming. It's the same word, and this is the Greek verb ischino, A-I-S-C-H-Y-N-O, and it's not a very uh, well-defined term in the Greek. It simply means to make ashamed, Uh, so the word shame means to make ashamed, but uh, I pulled a kind of a lengthy definition uh, that is very informative and hopefully will add some meaning and some weight to this word. This is from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. He says, quote, Shame is a consequence of sin. Feelings of guilt and shame are subjective acknowledgments of an objective spiritual reality. Guilt is judicial in character. Shame is relational. Though related to guilt, Shame emphasizes sin's effect on self-identity. Sinful human beings are traumatized before a holy God, exposed for failure to live up to God's glorious moral purpose. The first response of Adam and Eve to their sinful condition was to hide from God, and consequently from one another. Genesis three seven eight and two twenty-five. End quote. So th- that middle part there is what I really want to highlight, that sinful human beings are traumatized before a holy God, exposed for failure to live up to God's glorious moral purpose. Just keep keep that little phrase in your back pocket as we work through this text. But, John, if you imp- imported or uh, that that phrase right there into the text where it says shame, you could read it as though remain in him so that when jesus appears we may have confidence we may have this cheerful courage and and not draw back not be exposed of our failure not be traumatized before holy god at jesus coming and so we're going to answer the question of of why this is as we get deeper into the text but uh briefly i want to highlight that we see no neutrality in this verse as far as when Christ returns John says that we will have confidence and no shame there is no in between those things there's no you have confidence but a little shame or you don't feel ashamed and you have no confidence it's not an option here The, the only other option available is to be ashamed and have no confidence you're in one of two buckets. There is no neutrality. Now we get to, to the big question. Why is it that we have this confidence and we don't draw away, we don't draw back from Christ when he returns? Why is this true for believers? And we get the answer, um, it's because our abiding in him proves that The genuineness of our salvation if you are are permanently remaining in Christ you can be assured that at Christ's coming you will be glad and you will rejoice and you will not be ashamed because of your sin you will not be traumatized before a holy God why is this because your sin has been paid for and righteousness given to you by him who is appearing to bring you with him, right? Christ has done all the work for us. He has come once to bring salvation and he will come again to bring judgment. Praise God that he came the first time to bring salvation because he didn't have to. Now we hop over into verse 29 and If we look at the verse 28 and answer the question of why, we can look at verse 29 and we can answer the question of how do we abide? Okay, so flowing out of that first verse, verse 29, can answer the question of how do we abide? John says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness also has been born of him. Now I have a a simple exegesis of this verse that I'll tell you guys and then I want to dive a little deeper into a couple things about this verse because it's really important and it gives us some some good uh, theology and doctrine of God. So the simple exegesis of this verse is that our, our personal righteous behavior is proof, evidence that we have been born again and given a righteous nature like God who is righteous. Okay, but what, is it, what does it mean that God is righteous? What does that mean? To say that, that God is righteous is to beam a light directly into the bedrock of God's nature, his holiness. He always does right because that's his very nature. It, it's, his nature is one that is without blemish. He is perfection. This attribute of God is one that is, it's not inherent within us. We, d- we don't share this attribute of God, like uh, perhaps one of his other attributes, uh, love or mercy, or kindness. Those are, those are things that we can share in, uh, not to the same degree, but we can share in them. The holiness of God is not something that we uh, are, inher- is inherent within us. The, the holiness of God Altogether refers to an otherness about God. It's his his transcendence. He is set apart from everything else that is. His very essence, his quality of being, it's it's totally different than us. Because God is holy, it's also true that all of his other attributes are holy. And so his, his love is set apart, his grace is set apart, his sovereignty is set apart. The, the holiness of God is fundamental to God's nature. And this is a major reason why man in his finiteness cannot understand, cannot comprehend a, a holy and infinite God. Sinclair Ferguson uh, has this great quote. He, he talks about God's holiness this way. He says, quote, God's holiness means he is separate from sin, but holiness in God also means wholeness. God's holiness is his godness. It is him being God in all that it means for him to be God, to meet God in his holiness, therefore is to be altogether overwhelmed by the discovery that he is God and not man. So, flowing out of this brief exegesis of the righteousness or holiness of God comes an important question. How are we righteous? How are we righteous and the answer to that question is that righteousness is imputed to us through the death of christ imputed is a fancy word that uh to to simplify just means given to um it is imputed to us through the death of christ this is why the cross is so magnificent and so miraculous because Christ took upon himself our guilt our shame and he gave us his righteousness the very righteousness of God now that which could never be inherent within us the righteousness the holiness can never be inherent within us is placed on us as though dirty clothes have been removed from our backs and we have been given clean clothes that can never be tainted. This is also why the theological term substitutionary atonement is used to describe what Christ did for us on the cross. Substitute because we couldn't do it and needed someone perfect, someone holy to do it on our behalf. And atonement because his blood perfectly covers the word atonement means, covers all those who are to believe. And this is also why John goes on in the next verse, into the first verse of chapter 3, to, with great exclamation, declare his bewilderment of the kind of love that God has shown to us. Now, the last question I want to address out of this verse is why is it that Christians practice righteousness after they have been born again of God? So, so far, we've out of this verse, out of verse 29, we've answered the question briefly. This is not an exhaustive answer by any means, but what does it mean that God is righteous? Because the text says, if you know that he is righteous and we answered the question how are we righteous? And now we're going to answer the question, why is it that Christians practice righteousness after they have been born again of God? Because verse 29 tells us, you know that everyone, everyone who practices righteousness also has been born of him. That is to say that if you have been born of him, you practice righteousness. Now, the answer is that it would be absolutely impossible for the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, to to do in us the work of regeneration according to the sovereign election of the first person of the Godhead as the Father through the definite atonement of the second person of the Godhead, the Son, Jesus, And that person not practice righteousness it's just impossible there there is absolute harmony within the salvific work of god within the godhead it's there's it's absolute harmony it's perfect so everyone who indeed has been born of him has been born again that's the work of the holy spirit within us to take our heart of stone and and give us a heart of flesh that work of regeneration um, that that work is not uh, separated from God's election nor is it separated from Christ's atoning death and so we can be assured that all those who are regenerated they will indeed uh, practice righteousness Now, doo-doo-doo. here is a question for you to kind of sit back, evaluate, uh, and ponder your current uh, degree of holiness, if you will, with humility. And when, when you survey your moral character, do you find yourself hating sin? and loving righteousness according to God's law, ask yourself the question, do you really love the things that God loves? And do you hate the things that God hates? That's perhaps a good question for you to meditate on today. But moving on to verse 1, we're now in chapter 3, and John starts off this chapter with, See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. This is a beautiful, incredible verse. I'm excited to unpack it. And remember from what we just discussed, this verse is flowing tightly connected to what we just discussed in verse 29. chapter two okay remember what i said about um the imputation of righteousness to us through the death of christ remember that little uh paragraph i talked about with how we are uh, how are we righteous how are we made righteous and john goes right into this See how great a love the Father has given us, that we would be called children of God. So our first question here can be, what is the love the Father has given us? W- what is this love? And the second question is, why is it great? What is this love and why is it great? Well, the, the love that he has given us is adoption. Adoption into God's family because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. What, what Jesus accomplished at the cross secured the salvation for all those who are to believe. And that assures that all those who are to believe are those who will be adopted into God's family. This is unbelievably miraculous. We who were aliens to God, hostile to God, enemies of God, are now in fact called Children? How can this be so? Flowing directly off of the effects of the imputation of Christ's righteousness from the previous verse. Listen to this from uh, the Apostle John from his gospel account. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That was John 1, 12 through 13. No, no one is adopted in who is not first born again. Therefore, meaning they had to have been ransomed by Christ at his death. But those those who are to believe in Christ are the ones whom he died for. This is the doctrine of definite atonement. Those whom the Father elected are those whom the Son died for and are therefore those whom the Spirit regenerates. There is no contradiction within the Godhead, especially in relation to, to the work of salvation so we can see where we're not only given the nature of God to a degree through a regeneration and we're not only accepted by God as righteousness as righteous this is justification but we're given the immense privilege of being in god's family we are brought in to this most intimate of relationships of personal relationships through adoption and we get the privilege by grace and grace alone to address god as father we get we get to cry out abba father as Paul tells us in Romans 8. This is awesome. Pay attention to the word that John uses here to describe how we get this great love that results in our adoption. John says that it is given to us. This is nothing that we earned. This is nothing that we deserved. It was a free gift of the Father to us, so that we may not boast of anything. Now, so far we've covered from this first verse to, to see how, how great a love, we've looked at the greatness of this love that the Father's given us. How awesome is the reality that we are not only regenerated, given this new heart, we're justified in in the um in the eyes of god he sees us as holy through the lens of his son jesus but then we would be called children of god we we are indeed adopted into his family and we get to address him as father now john goes on to expound on this reality by highlighting that when we are adopted into god's family we are removed from the world's family. Now, I, I use the word, and John uses this word world here uh, in the sense of evil, in the sense of uh, the world in relation as it, it, it's opposed to God. The, the world does not recognize you anymore because you're the wholly opposite of it. As you were once aliens to God, you now are aliens to the world, exiles, as Peter would call us. We should take heart that the world does not know us and take heed if the world does. How do your actions, thoughts, and behaviors possibly line up with the world and not with God and with his word? It's another question to ponder today. Now, before we move into verse 2, as, as a brief encouragement, just summarizing this section that we just walked through, I, I wanted to say that we more fully understand the greatness of God's love for us insofar as we understand the depth of our own sinfulness and the height of God's holiness. We more fully understand the greatness of god's love for us insofar as we understand the depth of our own sinfulness and the height of god's holiness verse 2 john says beloved now we are children of god okay John again starts off this verse with this word beloved and it's almost as if without reading too much into the text you can feel that there, there's this like sense of a plea there's, there's got some emotion behind it John's writing to them beloved right, there's some emotion behind John writing here as if you can hear him saying like guys listen up please get this we are children of God now and enjoy all the blessings and privileges of being children of God. And we are day by day being conformed to the image of Jesus as Second Corinthians 3 verse 18 and chapter 4 verse 16 tells us. But there's more because on this earth, we simply see the perfect image of Christ through the lens of the gospel. But, but we know that we don't see Christ himself yet. We, we know that on this earth that we're still burdened with sin, with temptation. But when Christ returns, we know that we will be forever and completely freed from the devastating effects of sin. This is the, the great hope that we long for. Not to see in a dim mirror, but face-to-face, as 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12 describes. Going back to the text, John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Why has it not appeared as yet what we will be? Because Christ hasn't appeared. As John goes on to say, we know that when he appears, we will be like him okay so it has not appeared as yet what we will be because what we will be is like him and he hasn't appeared yet and so we are are hoping and longing for that day now i have this quote here that i want to uh, read out this is from john owen and the the thought of when he when christ appears and we get to see him uh, it's it's not just that the, there's something uh, small happening when we see him this is a, a magnificent aspect of our salvation this is the tail end of on the spectrum of, of salvation it's referred to as glorification because we will see him in his glory the text here says that um, we will be like him when he appears because, We will see him just as he is in all of his radiant, magnificent glory. This is why uh, when he appears, we will be like him. We will be transformed in an instant to be like him. Now, listen to this quote here. It's, It's somewhat lengthy, so stick with me, from John Owen. This is from his book, The Glory of Christ. Quote, to sum up briefly what has been spoken, there are three things to be considered concerning the glory of Christ, three degrees in its manifestation, the shadow, the perfect image, and the substance itself. Those under the law had only a shadow of it and of the things that belong unto it. They had not the perfect image of them. Hebrews 10, verse 1. Under the gospel, we had the perfect image, which they had not, or a clear, complete revelation and declaration of it, presenting it unto us as in a glass. But the enjoyment of these things and their substance is reserved for heaven. We must be, quote, where he is, that we may behold his glory. Now, there is a great difference and distance between the real substance of anything and the most perfect image of it than there is between the most perfect image and the lowest shadow of the same thing. If, then, they longed to be freed from their state of types and shadows to enjoy the representation of the glory of Christ and that image of it, which is given to us in the gospel, Much more ought we to breathe and pant after our deliverance from beholding it in the image that we may enjoy the substance itself. For whatever can be manifest of Christ in this side of heaven, it is granted unto us for this end, that we may the more fervently desire to be present with him. End quote. Now, that was a lengthy quote, so let me quickly summarize it uh, in case you didn't catch uh, what John was saying here. John Owen, not uh, the Apostle John, what John Owen was saying here. And that is that under the Old Testament law, the the Israelites had uh, just a shadow of what was to come. And then Christ came. um, He lived the perfect life. He died the substitutionary death. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we are we have recorded for us the gospel uh, accounts, and the New Testament, which expounds on the gospel accounts, and so with with the gospel we have the perfect image of the glory of Christ. So we're we're, we're far beyond what the Old Testament had just with their uh, with their shadow of it. We have the perfect image. But what John Owen is saying here is that even more so far beyond that is the substance itself. Christ himself is far beyond even the perfect image of Christ himself. And so that that last uh, sentence, John says, whatever can be manifest of Christ in this side of heaven, so we have the perfect image of it in the gospel, it's granted to us that we may more fervently desire to be present with him. The Christian should always be more fervently desiring to be present with Christ. That doesn't mean that we forsake what we're doing here on earth. That doesn't mean that we um, give up responsibility. We don't act with, uh, with responsibility and with a, with a clear conscience. Um, that's not negating those things, but it is, but it's, it's keeping the main thing, the main thing. Um, and that is that, uh, we're, we have this purifying hope. That's the, the theme of this section here. Uh, this hope that one day Christ will return and we, we will get to see him in all of his glory. And in that moment, we will be made like him. We will be glorified. We will have uh, a new body, a resurrected body like Christ. And so, um, I answered this a minute ago, but why will we be like him when he appears? We, we will see him in the fullness of his glory. Uh, this is um, what is known in theology as the beatific vision. The beatific vision. So, and that leads us into the final verse of today's um, Bible study, and that is, Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope, okay, so this hope is what he has said thus far, what John has uh, said thus far, this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So what, what is the hope? Well, it's what John has talked about thus far. That's the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, Let me. let me pause for a second and just say that any other hope will fail you. Any other hope outside of Jesus Christ will fail you. Maybe you're hoping to fulfill uh, some sort of uh, American dream that has been ingrained into uh, the youth of America and uh, the boomer generation and to, to get married have kids preferably two kids boy and girl and then have a nice house nice cars Have a family that's kind and loving to one another always gets along and Then a nice job that, that has good security and provides comfort Or maybe uh, your hope, more of a uh, post-modern thing, is, is self-actualization. Maybe maybe uh, you truly believe if you just keep searching within yourself, you'll finally become who you were meant to be. And that's that's your hope. Um, I'm, I'm here today uh, to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, that hope will indeed fail you. Uh, And in that possibly being bad news to you, it's also the best news that you could hear um, because there's a far greater hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Now, remember that the things of this world are temporary, okay? You cannot take them with you when you die. They will remain here where moth and rust will destroy Jesus tells us it's much better for us to lay up our treasures in heaven. Now, flowing off of this last verse, we can ask ourselves the questions, ask ourselves the question, Why do we purify ourselves? And the answer is because he is pure. The apostle Peter says this a different way in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. Quote, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. End quote. Now logically the next question would be, okay, I understand the why, but how? How do we purify ourselves? And the answer to the question is by setting our hope on Jesus Christ, the one who is pure okay why do we do it because he is pure how do we do it by by setting our mind on him who is pure that's how we purify ourselves by looking to christ now this is for someone who is already a believer um disclaimer if you're not a believer then this will not work uh i implore you um today is the day of salvation i would encourage you to repent to turn from your sin and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, indeed, the gospel has been proclaimed here on this podcast today, uh, or whatever day you're listening to this. But that is the why and the how to, to purifying ourselves. And so that brings us to the take-home message for today. And uh, this purifying hope, this is the whole theme and take-home point of, of this section that we discussed today. The believer's hope of Christ's return causes us to pursue holiness in this present age. We are preparing right now for glory unimaginable when Christ returns. Obeying God is never burdensome to the one who sees God in his holiness and understands the grace that he has been shown in Jesus Christ. amen well ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening thank you for sticking with me now for 45 minutes i appreciate you that is all that i have for today that was uh first john the end of chapter 2 verses 28 29 and the first three verses of chapter 3 uh we will discuss more of chapter 3 on the next episode of in the book but again thank you as always Leave a review, leave a, uh, a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Um, on behalf of Austin and I, we appreciate you. Uh, we are frequently praying for our listeners. Um, we don't know you by name, some we do, but we're, we're praying for you. Uh, we're praying that this podcast is uh, beneficial to your spiritual growth is uh, resulting in maturity and spiritual growth Um, you can always reach out to us by text or email Um, uh, our email for the podcast is on the website if you want to go check that out we would love recommendations and um, comments or support whatever you got so again thank you love you and we will catch you next time on in the book